Good morning, Three Circle Church and all our campuses joining us right now. And online, we are glad to be together today. Uh, the Sunday, the weekend after Easter. You know, I think too often we do a big Easter weekend and then we kind of move on from it. We move on with our lives and, and kind of leave Easter behind. But you know, the Bible, if you look at the actual narrative, there, was, there were things that continued to happen right after the resurrection that are very, very important that too often we leave behind. So we're going to start a brand new series next week, but today we're going we're gonna to spend one day on one of the things that happened, a couple of things actually, that happened right after the resurrection. And these things are very, very important. In fact, I think that they, they changed the lives, the things that happened right after the resurrection changed the lives of the people that observed them and witnessed it and saw it. Jesus did not just leave the empty tomb and no one ever saw him again. You know, Jesus appeared to the disciples over and over again. He hung out for a while. He was there. They saw him. And, and them seeing him and what he showed them changed their lives. It turned uh, cowards into very courageous people that turned the world upside down. And so I think today it'd be really good for us to take a look. And my hope is when you leave today, you'll have some understanding you didn't have when you walked in the door or when you tuned in online or at one of our campuses. I hope that you also leave with great joy. Literally, I hope your affection for Jesus grows, that, that you leave today going, wow, I didn't know that, and wow, I'm excited about that. Okay, so I know I've set the bar high there. I hope I, hope I don't overpromise, underdeliver here. Let's dive in. But the Bible never does that. I do, not the Bible, okay? So Paul thought that the resurrection of Jesus was endlessly important. In fact, he hung our entire faith on the hinge of the resurrection. Writing about Jesus' resurrection, he says a few things that will be helpful to us today as we dive in. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only... We are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all may be, be made alive. Now, let's dive into what Paul is actually saying here. First of all, Paul says to us that if Jesus did not rise from the grave, our faith really doesn't even exist. Christianity can't exist without the empty tomb. There's no reason we're all together here if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. He also brings in fatalism. He says that those who have fallen asleep, which means died, everyone who's ever died, well, they're just dead. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then death is the end. Since death hasn't been conquered, there's nothing else. That's fatalism. That's atheism. He says, and, and if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then fatalism and atheism is true. Death is just the end. Oh, also, if we, the living, if our only hope is this life only in Christ and not after death, then we should be pitied. He says we're fools. Now watch this. I've heard this said before. I've heard people say, hey, if I get to the end of life and I die and there's nothing on the other side of the grave and I was wrong about Christianity, I still think I made the better bargain because, well, I lived a better life. I was moral. I had joy and all that. Paul disagrees with us. Paul would say, no, you're stupid. <laughs> That's what Paul says. He's like, you're so foolish, you should be pitied above all people if you get to the end of life and this thing isn't true. 
He's like, because you could have been jet skiing today, right? You could, there's so many other things you could have done without spending all this time. You did worshiping and in church and trying to build community. You could have just hung out with people you like instead of hanging out with people you don't even know half of them. Coming in, crying, raising your hand, singing songs. What are we doing? That's what Paul says. He says, we are pitiful if the resurrection did not happen. But he quickly makes a turn. He says, oh, but in fact, in fact, everyone circle that. And if you have a handout, just circle, in fact. He says, this isn't a dream. It's truth. He says, but in fact, he has been raised from the dead. And then he makes a sentence that's going to be kind of an impetus, if you will, for what we talk about today. Paul is saying that Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, Jesus did something that all of us are going to experience. Resurrection's coming for all believers. Then he makes a theological case. He says, for as by a man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection for the dead. He's talking about Adam. He's talking about Jesus. Through Jesus, all will be made alive. So what Paul is saying is the resurrection, I think for many of us, is just a story we celebrate, but we don't let it infiltrate our lives. Folks, the resurrection should infiltrate our lives. In 1912, I know the date, and I love history, but I know this date big because my great-grandmother, Cordy Bell, who I grew up with, okay, my, my great-grandma did not die until I was like 24 years old. She got to see me get married, and she was awesome. Firecracker, huge personality. I grew up with lots of strong ladies in my life, and I'm grateful, and she was strong, and she had a big personality, and she would always say, the day the Titanic went down, Cordy Bell was born. That's what she would like to say because she was born when the Titanic went down in 1912. Now, when the Titanic sank, it was the biggest ship in the world, and it was deemed to be unsinkable, and it was a big deal, and it set sail from Europe, headed to New York City, and we all know what happened, right? It sunk. And then the headlines look like this. Here's an actual headline from uh, Oakland, okay? They'll put a picture up. This is newspapers, and that's what they look like. For days, all over the country, the biggest story in the world, you didn't have Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, it was papers in the Mobile Press Register, same way, it was the Titanic sank. They were wrong. The first day, the news was no one died, that everyone was rescued, and then they had to retract, and it was this big deal, but everyone. So if you were a farmer in, uh, you know, Baldwin County in 1912, you got a newspaper and you went, baby, come in here and look at this. Look what happened, and everybody went, oh, that's horrible. And then you put that paper down and you went out and you milked the cow. Because it did not change your life. It was a headline and it was a big headline. And now, whoa, that's a big deal. Hey, we got to go, uh, you know, cut the corn, you know, or whatever was happening in Baldwin County in 1912, okay? Or Thomasville, Alabama, or wherever we have campuses. So what I'm saying to you is that the Titanic, as big as it was, only changed the lives of a few people. The ones who were on the boat, the ones who were connected to those on the boat. And if you were in the shipping industry during that time, maybe it had an effect on your life. 99% of the human population saw that headline, and it did not change their life a bit. You read about it, you went, oh, that's terrible, oh, wow, and you went on with your life. And too much in the modern church, in church in general, we have done that with a resurrection. We go, oh, isn't that awesome? That's great. Let's, let's die some eggs. Let's uh, sing some songs uh, at Three Circle. Let's do 250 services, you know what I'm saying, uh, and all that. But then we're just going to move on with life. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. The resurrection is everything. You don't leave that behind. The resurrection is what you're living on every day. It's the fuel in the tank. It's, it's, it's the water that's hydrating your spiritual life. The resurrection is the thing. That's what Paul says. 
And so we don't want to leave it. We would say this, the resurrection of Jesus is the story that changes our story. It's the story that changes our lives. We don't read it like a headline. We ingest it as truth that changes us from the inside out. That's the resurrection of Jesus. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what Jesus did right after his resurrection today that I think is going to tell us a lot. So what I'm going to invite everyone to do today at all campuses online and here is put on what I'm going to call your observational lens. You're going to put on your observational glasses. We're going to look at the Bible and say, what is this telling us? Instead of what we heard when we were kids, or what? because I think a lot of things feed what we believe about the afterlife other than the Bible. In fact, I think the Bible feeds it less than we realize. And I'll tell you why. Because as a pastor, I get to do or be a part of lots of funerals. And I can't tell you how much bad stuff I've heard at funerals. People believe some crazy stuff. People who are Christians. I've heard Buddhism roll out. I've heard uh, Indian mysticism roll out on stage at Christian funerals rather than the gospel. I've heard all kinds of stuff. Incarnation, I've heard karma. I've heard all kinds of stuff that the Bible doesn't give us. And I wonder, why aren't we talking about what the Bible says? The Bible says far more. It does not tell you everything. The Bible's not an exhaustive document. It tells you what God wanted us to know. But if God told us some things, how many of you believe that's worthy of us pursuing? We should know what he told us, right? He told you more than you realize. And not just teaching it, but also showing you. He showed you. And that's what we're going to look at today. And I think that we have some crazy ideas sometimes. So Jesus shows us in the aftermath of the resurrection what a resurrection life, that's what we're going to learn today, and a resurrection body will be like. Okay? More than you think. And like I said, I've been to some funerals. I've seen some stuff. Like there's a lot of people that use this kind of language in the church. When my loved one dies, they're going to get their angel's wings. Uh, Where'd you see that? Because we're not angels. We weren't created to be angels. You're not going to become an angel. Angels angels aren't made like you. Angels are different creatures. By the way, it'd be a step down. For you to become an angel. The Bible says the angels look upon you. You're made in the image of God. You have the imago Dei. You want to take a step down in eternity? No, 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 no. That's, that's not it. In fact, this is so ubiquitous, this idea of us getting angels' wings and becoming angels when we get to heaven. There's a website where you can go, look at this. You can go and you can put a picture of your loved one. Click to add photo. And a bird's going to give them a rose and you walk up the steps and then suddenly you're just going to fly around. That's the idea. It's not in the Bible. Happens to not be in the Bible. So I don't know why we're talking about that. Now, some of you cat lovers think this is what heaven's going to be like. And I'm going to tell you straight up. That's white Jesus. That hair is too pretty. You know what I'm saying? That's not the Jewish Jesus of the Bible. I don't know. He grew up in San Diego, y'all. And there's cats. All right. So we're having some fun here. But there's all kinds of ideas out there about what it's going to be. Why don't we take a look at the Bible? What do we say here at Three Circle? The Bible's the boss. The Bible is our authority on all things, so why don't we let it be our authority about this? By the way, I kind of want to know what the future's going to be like since, as humans, you're going to spend far more time after death than you are before. The Bible says this life is a mist here today, gone tomorrow. So I think I want to know what does the Bible tell me about my future? It tells you a lot, and maybe nowhere does it tell you more clearly 
than Jesus walking around on this planet after he rose from the grave. He's not just teaching. He is demonstrating. He's showing you stuff. When I grew up on the Escataba River, okay, my, my family's property went down to this river called the Escataba. Some would look at it more as a creek, but we called it a river, okay? And we had a rope swing that was a really good rope swing. And as a little kid, I'd watch my cousins and all of them out there swing, and I was too scared to do it. But then came the day where it's like, you can do this. I'll never forget, I went across. You had to swim across the river, get in the current. The current will pull you. If you landed right, you landed in the right spot. That's, that was my swimming pool, y'all. You know what I mean? And so climb up, and my older cousin was like, you're doing it today. Come on, Chris, let's do this. And we go over, and my older cousin, you had to climb up, and, and the rope swing's hanging out there, and we had this limb with a hook on it. You'd reach out there and grab the rope, and you'd pull the rope to you. Had a big knot on the bottom. I remember him saying, look, here's how you do it. You grab, put your hands right here, and then kind of jump. And when you jump, you land. You sit on the big knot, and hold on. And it's going to swing you out. And then he said, let go. You don't swing back. Tree, all that, you know, not going to be good. You let go out there. But it's awesome. You're going to love it. You do it one time, you're going to love it. There's nothing to be afraid of. And I'm like, scared to death. He goes, here's how it works. Watch me. Watch me, and I'll do it. My oldest cousin, Jason. He jumps up, grabs onto that rope, goes out, lets go. And I'll never forget, the rope's still swinging, and Jason's up, and he's going, see? It's awesome, right? That's Jesus after the resurrection. Looking at all of us and saying, see, death isn't that bad, is it? Walking around alive with nail scars in his hands and feet going, not that bad, is it? I told you not to be afraid. That's what Jesus is doing here. And it was so electric what he did for these disciples that saw him. It changed them forever. This changed them. Peter went from being a coward, I don't even know him, to, you know, they would threaten his life. And he's like, kill me then. You're going to have to kill me because if you let me go tomorrow morning, I'll be preaching again. You could not stop these guys. You know why? They would say it. They would say, we saw him dead and we saw him alive. And yet we don't spend enough time here. Let's, y'all ready now? Y'all ready to spend some time here? Let's see what Jesus showed us in his resurrection. So the Bible says in Luke 24, that very day, meaning it was the afternoon of the resurrection. It happened that morning, but they didn't have Twitter or cell phones. So Mary and the ladies who, by the way, the women who saw the empty tomb and, and first carried that message, they didn't have a cell phone to call all the people and go, hey, he's not in the tomb. So they didn't know. And there were these two disciples, not a part of the original 12, which has now become 11 since Judas is gone. The 11, the famous guys, they're all locked in a room, scared to death. Doors are locked, windows are locked. The Bible tells you that over and over again because it wants you to know something about Jesus' resurrection body, okay? But there's these two other guys who follow Jesus. One of their names is Cleopas, and they're walking on a road. And it says this, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. What things? The crucifixion. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Now remember, I told you to observe. If Paul is right, and he is, Paul said, he's showing you your future. He's the first fruit. He's the one that said, watch, I'll do it. I'll die and resurrect and I'll show you. This is how it works. Nothing to be afraid of here, right? And so 
what do we see? This is Jesus alive after the resurrection. This is Jesus in the water saying, it's okay, the water's fine, don't be afraid. What do we observe? Well, I see some things right out of the gate. The risen Jesus had a real body, he had a real personality, and he had a voice. We see it right there. If you ever wondered, and again, I grew up with cartoons, all the cartoons I watched as a kid, and even the little, I grew up in church before digital stuff was happening, and we had the felt boards. Anyone remember those? Little felt, and your teacher would put it up on the board, pictures of Jesus and pictures of all the people. And always, when you died, you ended up floating on a cloud playing a harp in a white robe. I've told you this before. That sounds like hell, not heaven to me. You know what I'm saying? That ain't cool to me. And so, because here's what I found as I read the actual Bible. What God has planned for you is way better than the stuff we come up with. Way better. Far better. So Jesus is showing us here, you're not going to, am I going to have a body? When, yes, you're going to have a human body. You were made for a human body. And Jesus has, by the way, just remember our theology. Jesus was always God. God is spirit. He became a human and got a human body when he did. He's the God-man, fully God, fully man. And he's going to show us that he could, he's still the God-man. He didn't stop being the God-man. He didn't ditch his human body. He still got it. You're not going to ditch one either. You're going to have a body. And he's showing you what the rest... You're not going to just be floating. You're not an idea. You got a body now in the future. You're just an energy force. No, no, no. Thank goodness, right? We were made this way. And so he has a body. He's got personality. Don't you love this? He always did. You can see the playful, uh, whimsical side of Jesus, the fun side of Jesus in the Gospels. Now, he was very serious. He's God. But aren't you thankful God has a sense of humor? You see it here. Jesus comes alongside him. He knows what they're talking about. All of a sudden, he's with them. He says, what are you guys talking about? I don't know if you know this little insight. He knows what they're talking about. <laughs> Tell me what you're talking about. What things? They're like, the things. You know the things. The stuff that happened, he's like, what are you talking about? And they began to tell him. They beat him. They crucified him. It was horrific. Oh, okay. They did not recognize him yet. He's got all of that. He has a voice. He can talk to them and they can hear him. So if you wondered if you're going to be like Darth Vader after you die, well, hello, everybody. No, you still got a voice. It's not some weird thing. It's a human voice. Jesus is saying, not bad, is it? What are you afraid of? I love it. So then he looks at them in verse 25. Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He's talking Old Testament. Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And here comes the greatest theology lesson that's ever been given. Verse 27. Beginning with Moses. What does he mean by that? Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. It means he started in Genesis. He went to the Pentateuch. When, when Jewish people say Moses, he's talking about the Pentateuch, the five. He goes to the beginning of the Old Testament and then the prophets, meaning he went through the whole Old Testament in those seven miles and interpreted to them in all the scriptures concerning the Messiah. This is what the Bible says. Jesus took them from Genesis forward, showing them Jesus himself. They just don't know it's him yet. You see him there? You see him there? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine when he's like, remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're in that fire. King said there's another one there. Yeah, that's him. It's me, but you don't know it yet. See Joshua outside the gates of Jericho? See that, that man talking to him? He bows down to him. That's him. That's the Messiah. He's there. You see him here? You see him there? You see Gideon, the guy calling Gideon out? That's him. That's him. That's, that's the Messiah. He sh their, their minds are blown, right? They don't know it's him. 
They don't know it's him. What do we see? What's Jesus teaching us about him? Because not only do I want to know what my future is, what changed about Jesus? Who is Jesus now? What is he like? Well, one thing we can observe is the risen Jesus actively helps his followers understand the truth. He still wants the light bulb to go off. It's not some kind of weird and mystical experience. It's Jesus still wants you to know the truth. He's got a real human body, a real voice, and he always wants us learning truth. He wants truth to be what we're standing on. He promised this, by the way, to his disciples the night before he died. In John 14, 26, he said, I'm leaving, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, watch this, he will, what's that word? He will teach you all things. And if you ever wondered how we got the gospels, how did they remember all those details? He will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. That's how you got your, you ever wondered how John, we know John was probably about 70 when he wrote his gospel. How did he remember all the details? Because the Holy Spirit, as Jesus promised, brought them all back to him. All of them. And see, Jesus is still teaching us. Jesus still wants you to know. He's teaching. He always will through his Holy Spirit. He wants us to learn and learn and learn, not just have and chase another experience or another feeling. He also wants you to know and base your life on truth. That's what he says. And then it says they kept walking to Emmaus. They finally get there. And in Luke 24, 30, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Their eyes were open. They recognized him, watch this, and he vanished from their sight. Okay? Remember, we're observing, right? What do you observe about Jesus' real human body here that we can go, okay, that's what resurrection bodies look like and act like. Well, here's a couple things. The resurrection of body of Jesus clearly was a real human body. How do we know it? Because he can pick up a piece of bread. It doesn't fall through. He's not just a spirit. It's real bread. He breaks it in half. It operates like a human body. But, and the disciples would say things like, he's the same, but you can tell they're looking at him like, what's different? You're doing stuff. It's different. Yes, a resurrected body. It's a glorified body. It's not the exact same. So watch this. It has properties and abilities that are heavenly now. One great theologian said this. Jesus' body now has been fit for heaven. Pretty awesome. But he's still here with them and they're seeing it. And so, watch this. This means he can pick up a piece of bread and tear it in half and hand it to them and then he can vanish before their eyes. I don't know if you know, that's not something you guys can do. Or me. I mean, we'd have to do some real tricks up here on stage. Trapdoor, I'd disappear. And even then, it'd just be an illusion. You do know that they're, like when you go see a magician or whatever, it's an illusion. I remember uh, my first, after college, I was doing student ministry in Atlanta, and we had some kids in our student ministry that were into illusion. They were into like magic tricks and stuff. And I'm telling you right now, these, I had a kid that could stand right in front of me and float. He'd float. And I was, I was like, bro, you, you freaking me out. And it was all an illusion. It was this way that he'd put one leg behind the other, and you're sitting there. And I mean, you would say, he's floating right now. It was amazing. It was, it was all illusion, okay? It was all illusions. But, but these aren't illusions. This is real. Jesus is saying, no, I'm right here, and I can do things with this resurrected body that's different. But I'm also a real human body. This is what a resurrection body looks like. I can grab a piece of bread and tear it. Now, again, if y'all send me emails this week and you're like, so when he grabbed the bread, you know, I'm just going to say, my answer is going to be, I don't know. 
I don't know, all the questions you have. I'm going to tell you what I just see because I don't think, I think Jesus wanted us to look at his body and see this wonderful thing. He's my, he's just like my cousin. He's our big brother in the water going, death isn't bad, y'all. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid here. Nothing to be afraid of. I got you. You're going to love this. And he doesn't tell us everything, but he does enough things to go, well, now that's pretty cool. That's awesome. He's give, it, it was enough to turn these guys' lives inside out when they saw him in front of them. So he's not done yet. It's the same day. And, and of course, when he vanishes, they're looking at each other. The, the Bible, you can go read the whole story. They go, how did we not know it was him? And then, of course, what do they do? They got a seven-mile run ahead of them. They're trying to get back to the 11 who are in that room. They know, so they're running, right? They're stopping for Gatorades. You know, they're not cross-country runners. They have to get a monster drink about halfway. Sugar-free, of course. They're trying to take care of their bodies to the glory of God. So I'm just kidding, guys. None of that had been invented yet. But anyway, they're, uh, they're headed to uh, Jerusalem. And when they get there, they're going to find Jesus already there. Because resurrected bodies, I guess, move faster. We don't know because he didn't tell us everything. He's just showing us. But in Luke 24, they get to the eleven who are locked in a room. They let them in the room, lock the door back. They come in. They rose that same hour, returned to Jerusalem, and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed. They're like, he's alive. Can y'all hear it? They're so excited. And he's appeared to Simon. And then they began to tell them all that had happened on the road and how he was known to them and breaking the bread. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Now everybody pause. Because you'll miss it. We read the Bible too fast. Here you see the personality of Jesus. And and I'm going to prove it to you in just a second. He scared them. He scared them. Look at the next sentence. They were startled and frightened. He's having fun. He's saying, not bad, is it? My oldest son. Here, Let me tell you how how my life works. Uh, I've always loved to scare people. And I'm easily scared, okay? You can scare me very easily, but I like to scare people. My wife and I got married about six months into our marriage. My wife looked at me and said, no more. I don't want to open a closet and you jump out. I don't want you hiding under the bed and grabbing my ankle when I walk by the bed. I'm tired of this. So I had to put that on the shelf for a few years until my kids were born, and then I brought it all back out. So for years, I raised my kids having fun with them. I used a Bluetooth speaker to make them believe there were wolves in their room one time. It was, anyway, whole story. So then as my kids got older, they began to have retribution upon old daddy. And my oldest son, now at over six feet tall, my oldest son can get his entire body somehow up on our kitchen counter underneath the cabinetry in a, in a corner and, and hunch down in the dark. And he knows my nightly routine. And I can't tell you, there's been a few times he waits till I forget that he can do this to do it again. And I'll go walking through because the light switch is over there. And I'll walk through and he knows I'm headed over to the kitchen and feeling my way through and he'll just grab my arm. Hey, I'm just telling you, it's not a good situation. And he loves it. And every, what can I say? Payback. It's just payback, right? Jesus is having fun. It says here that he appeared and said, peace to you. But they were startled, verse 37, and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. Of course they thought they saw a spirit. The doors are locked. No one knocked. He walked into that room. Resurrection bodies can do stuff. Okay? Verse 38, listen to how he talks to them. So he says to them, why are you troubled? Not just about this moment. Why were you ever afraid? 
Why are you afraid of anything? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Verse 39. And now watch him. He's wanting them to see some stuff. It's all observational. He says, look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's me. I myself. He says, touch me and see. He wants them to know he's still a human. He says, he gets specific. He says, if you think I'm a spirit, a spirit does not have flesh and bones like I have. I'm still human. Verse 40, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. He showed them crucifixion scars. And if you ask me, why would he still have scars if he has a resurrected body? Remember my answer? I, D-O-N-T, don't know. (laughs) I just know what the Bible's showing me. Okay? He showed them his hands and feet while they still, so they're so freaked out because he's different, but still him. Stuff's going on here, and they're amazed. Look what it says that they're doing. They're still disbelieving for joy. They're so happy. They're like, I can't believe you're standing here. And they're marveling. Marveling means they're looking at him like, what all can you do? It's still you. There's holes in your hands. But it's you. It's your voice. It's awesome. He says to them, and and by the way, so they're still wondering. They're marveling. So he's like, "I'll, I'll keep proving stuff to you. Let me show you something else. A resurrected body can do. Have you anything here to eat? Well, that's a good question to answer. He didn't tell us everything, but if we've all wondered, hey, will we still eat in heaven? Will we have food in heaven? Well, he's about to answer that question for you. They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he, I love that the Bible says he did it before them. Like he's looking at them and they're all watching him. Puts it in his mouth, takes a bite. Chews it up. They're still watching him real close. Swallows it. They're like, man, that's cool. That's cool. I'm sure they're all, they're all like, Whew. at least we know we're going to eat in the resurrection. Right? He does that in front of them, and I don't know all the answers. I know this, though. If I look at this, the resurrection body of Jesus could walk through solid objects. It could quickly go great distances, seven miles. But it also was a real body. It bore the scars of crucifixion. It ate real food. His body could be touched. He invites them to do so. And you could look at him and he's sitting right there in front of you. Now, if we look at this and we go, these are just little details, big deal. Listen to me. Peter was a cowardly mess before the crucifixion. He looks at the body of Jesus for 40 days and you can't stop that guy anymore. You can't scare the disciples anymore. They become fearless. You can't stop them. They're they're threatened by the Roman Empire. They're threatened by Jewish authorities. And they're like, you're going to have to kill us. This is why Paul starts using language. To die is gain. Who talks like that? People who saw Jesus alive. People who looked at Jesus going, death isn't that bad, is it? Here, give me that fish. Death isn't that bad. The grave couldn't hold me. Cross couldn't hold me. Cancer can't hold you. Death can't hold you. Hospital rooms can't hold you. If you follow Jesus, you've got the power of the resurrection surging through your life. Have no fear. That's what he's saying. The water's fine. And it changed them forever. They turned the world upside down. Jesus wanted them to know he had a real human body. He's like, I want you to know this. I'm not going to tell you everything. When we were kids, we didn't have a lot, but man, we were blessed. And my brother and I, my mom and dad worked hard to provide a good Christmas. And my mom had a tradition. Every, every Christmas Eve, she'd say, you can pick one present to open, but not all of them. 
And then if you went and grabbed the biggest present, she'd be like, and not that one. <laughs> but we'd open that one present. She was, she was totally fine. She was going to give us something now. But she's like, but I got more. You, you won't believe what I got for you later. And Jesus in his resurrected body shows us a lot. He says, let me show you a lot. Let me answer some questions for you. But I got some stuff I'm saving for later. And it's going to blow your mind. If you think this is good, the Bible says it hasn't even entered your mind what Christ Jesus has prepared for you, what he has in store for you. Come on now. And it, it's joy producing. Here's what I hope today as we close. The resurrection of Jesus should give us hope, confidence, and affection for Jesus. It should give you hope. You have every reason to hope today. You should have confidence. Don't, walk, don't be afraid. What should be afraid of? Jesus conquered the grave, and he did it on your behalf. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. And we should have affection for Jesus. We should love him, really love him. He's worthy of that. And so today, I hope you get in your car with a smile on your face, not because I was a cheerleader up here today. No, no, way better than that. Not because I said, life's going to be great. It's not. It's rough rough for all of us. But because Jesus is alive. He really is alive. That's why. Right? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. And I pray that if we don't know you, that people would trust in you today as their Savior and that we would all be drawn to our affection for you. I pray that. In your great name, Jesus, amen.